Hi, this is Cinda Williams, and I am extremely blessed to tell you about a new book on survival called Faith, Failure, and Success, Volume 2, Surviving the Storm. Erica Summers, Martha Chavez, Latrice Rice, Nicole Reed, Vanya Hudson, and I have come together to share our deepest, darkest challenges with you and how we overcame. Please check it out on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Cinda Williams here and welcome to Season 2, Episode 33 of the PPC Podcast. I've been able to sit and think a lot lately and it has not been easy. I've been still for the first time and I don't know how long. And I realize that I need to heal. And on that note, let's get on with it. People that call themselves healers are a dime a dozen. People claim this ability with nonchalance. That amazes me. But I realize they may be truly what they say they are. You know why? Because everyone can be a healer. If you take the time to smile at someone, you may be healing them. If you speak to a stranger, check up on an elder, correct a child's behavior, you're participating in their healing and in their growth. Well, my uncle, singer, poet, author, playwright, and counselor has been a healer to me my entire life. He came at it naturally. I'll let him tell you all about it. Everybody, James Wesley Williams. James Wesley Williams, a.k.a. King. Welcome to the PPC Podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Enjoying being here with you. Well, as some people know, a lot of people know, you're my uncle. Um, and you have obviously been there since the the opening of my eyes um, all these years. Um, <laughs> and, and, and my number one first an ongoing mentor uh, in uh, all things creative. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you're very important to me. I had uh, Melissa Fisher on recently and you came up quite a bit in that podcast because mm-hmm. you mentor a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, 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 I first and foremost, just totally appreciate you and love you. And love you. So, so King, um, by the way, everyone, I call him King. Why? Because though he's James Wesley Williams to most of the world, I uh, knew him as he was a professional singer when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your stage name was King James. Yep. 
<laughs> That's what it was. Okay, yeah. It was it was King James and and though you you eliminated that that the word moniker, you you moved on from it. it stuck with me and all of us kids because that's just the name that we had for you growing mm -hmm. up. Uh, and and you had a name for me too. What'd you call me? Will. Will. I've always been Will. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've always been Will, which I, I think you told me was the, it was the, um, because I was the firstborn girl in Will Kiddo's family. Right. right. Exactly. You're number one, kiddo. I love that you always nicknamed all of us. All of us had nicknames. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. So, King, I, we were talking a little bit before we started this uh, um, on, on here, and I was saying one of the questions I always have for people is, tell me about your childhood i have never ever talked to you about your childhood can you tell me tell me about i think you were born in martin i don't know anything about your childhood yeah i was born in martin ferry martin ferry ohio yeah that's true um uh, my birth was rather unique and i don't know if you know about this not too many people do um, I was born in a, in a house, in a home, and the, uh, the doctor uh, lived in Wheeling, West Virginia, which is across the bridge from Martins Ferry to uh, West Virginia, and she was an African-American lady, and she handled the, uh, her Black constituents in Martins Ferry, so she would go across the bridge. It's only a couple of miles, so it wasn't a big deal. Well, anyway, uh, at the time of my birth, my dad, uh, Reverend J.C. Williams, or Jacob Williams, uh, got in his car, traveled to Wheeling, uh, uh, West Virginia, where the doctor was, and had to bring her across the bridge and bring her to me, uh, to mom. Mom had went through the labor pains and everything, and she had the baby which was me. And um, during that time where he had to pick her up and bring her back, I didn't breathe. Mm. Uh, so my auntie, Aunt Elnora was there, I, I believe. I, I think I'm getting this right. And what they did was put me over to the side and covered me up because I wasn't breathing, I wasn't crying, I wasn't doing anything. I just laid there. When when my dad finally arrived and uh, with the doctor, my dad told uh, the doctor, what the doctor said to my dad, you could either, uh, I can concentrate on doing something with the baby or I could take care of your wife. And he said, please take care of my wife. Um, my boy is, is not here. So he started to, to go to work and they worked really hard on my mother uh, because she was um, having a lot of pain, et cetera, and so forth. And eventually, and my dad said all of this in this time period, said about 25, 20 minutes or something like that. So I had not, I had not come alive until they saw me, oh, they heard uh, a noise over on the other bed and I was covered up and everything. 
and I was sucking my finger. And when they heard me sucking my finger, whoops, he's alive. Mm. And uh, they had, they were under the impression and the doctor had checked me before she started working on my mom that no, mm. he, was, he is not available. He, he's, he didn't live through the process. But uh, somehow or another, I lived through it and I, and, and the result of that is I am here today with you and your That's so crazy that, you know, this conversation makes me want to go and talk to everybody about their child because I don't know anything and never even thought to ask. That's so self-absorbed. But, you know, with, with your authority figures, you just see them from the time you were born on. Yeah. You don't think about them before. Exactly. Exactly. I thought about mommy and daddy, you mm -hmm. know, but, but you know, Daddy didn't. Daddy told stories all the time. He he wasn't that likely to tell these kind of stories, though. I don't really know that much. So okay, so you were born. You were second born, um, and you guys were were in Martin's Ferry for for a few years. Was Papa a pastor at that point when you were born? Was he already pastoring? Those intricate details I know nothing about. Not mm -hmm. that much about. Mm -hmm. I do know that uh, he. I think he was in school and he was on his way to go to school in uh, Delaware, Ohio, I think. Uh, so, and Elnor and others had to take care of myself and your dad, of course. Um, so I think he went off and went to school eventually. So that's where he started his ministry. I don't think he had a church there in Martin Ferry. No, I don't believe so at all. He had to make a choice whether to be in the AME church or to go to a regular United Methodist or Methodist church. He chose to go to, which is predominantly white. He chose to, to, uh, to go to that church and go to that uh, uh, schooling mm -hmm. versus going to the AME church. By his own wit and of his own thinking, he thought it'd be better for him in ministry. And it probably, he was thinking it would provide him more opportunities to do what he wanted to do in ministry. So he went to that, he went to a seminary. And I think, you know, don't quote me, but I think it was in Delaware. Then I think he went to another one in, in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, which was a United Methodist, well, Methodist seminary. So, so my young life, uh, after a few years, after my birth, et cetera, and so forth, uh, we stayed on campus at the seminary. Okay. Sunny and myself and Anna Lee, my oldest, my older sister, my sister, she's not older than I am, but my sister. Mm -hmm. uh, so we stayed on campus for, I think, two or three years or something like that. Oh. I know that Uncle Jacob was born, the youngest, was born in Atlanta. He was born and in Atlanta, right. I think the first four, you, Daddy, Aunt Lee, and Sadika were all born in Martins Ferry. So no. maybe that last person. No? no? Uh, Alice was born in Newcastle, Indiana. Really? Yes, he was hmm. born in Newcastle. So That's Daddy good. had left seminary, and they gave him a, they gave him a job, uh, a preaching job, in Newcastle, Indiana. Okay. So that's where he had his, I think that's where he had his first church in Newcastle. 
So how do you end up in Atlanta then afterwards? Because Uncle Jacob was born in Atlanta, right? He was born in Atlanta because Daddy was traveling. Ah. Back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes we travel with them and sometimes we didn't. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were dad was assigned to Newcastle on two terms. Uh, he was there for maybe three or four years, and then he got another church where he went to school in Atlanta. Then they sent him back there. Because there weren't that many African American Methodist churches until a certain time when uh, the United Methodist, the Methodist Church combined to what was no longer, no longer uh, Black Methodist anymore. It became the United Methodist Church. If you wanted to go that route, the Black Methodist, you had to go to the African Methodist Church. That's where my uncle, Uncle Esau, went. He did that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's so. Okay. What does this mean to you guys? You're 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 moving around from place to place to place. There's no real stability. No. How how did you maintain? What did you guys do? I mean, you obviously do with your parents. That you you have no choices or any control at that point in your life. So how do you maintain? We maintain a number of ways. Number one. Every parsonage we went to, which which is relative to a church, we had to clean it. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> we had to clean it. So we spent hours and hours cleaning these churches and these parsonages, our homes, and that we went to. And my mother, Rosa Mae Williams, she was the main. She was the person that made sure that we cleaned everything and did all that. So we were always en route. We were always traveling. We were never stationary too, <coughs> excuse me, too long in a church. One of the things that, and this is what I was talking to my partner the other day about, one of the things that my mother did, she loved creativity. And so he, she loved music, et cetera, and so forth. So she would she would have us have, uh, not parties, but we would gather together on Fridays or Saturdays, and we'd do talent shows. And so we would do talent shows, and my mother would always uh, maintain those, make sure that we would do talent shows. We'd sing, we would dance, we'd tell stories, we do poetry, we do all of that. I learned a lot of what I do as it relates to creativity through my mother's insistence that uh, we do this. We also play games. We played a lot, a lot of games. I wasn't very, you know, I wasn't very, I wasn't very inclined to games, but I played Chinese checkers and checkers and marble and Scrabble and all those games that that it would keep us busy. It would keep us busy. So, uh, so eventually we just did that as a custom every weekend. I think it was on Friday evenings. Saturdays was mostly church activity, cleaning, stuff like that. Okay, so that takes us into how you became an artist. When did you decide that you wanted to be a professional singer? It was never like I made a decision to do that. It was, I found myself in that capacity. Mm -hmm. It began when my 
father bought me a 45 RPM record. You know, the vinyl 45 mm -hmm. that you, you don't remember that, do you? Yeah, I do. I do remember, yep. <laughs> he, for my birthday, he bought me um, a 45 RPM record. And when he did that, and we listened to the music, that's when I fell in love with music. I fell in love with music. And from that point, I I would involve myself in as much music as I possibly can. And we use the church as a vehicle because that's we we sang in churches. And so I not only loved the music, but I loved the uh, poetry, those kind of things. I memorize. I started to memorize poetry. I started to do all the things creative. And I found myself doing it all the time. We didn't have too much of an opportunity to um, have a lot of friends. So it wasn't, we because we moved so often. Uh, so we would gather together by ourselves and we would do things for ourselves. And my mother, mother was insistent upon us doing this. And so Sonny and I really became relatively close um, the other kids were the ones we took care of for the most part, you know, protected and all that. So uh, creativity really hit me hard at to, to the degree uh, that um, my mother would make me sing in church all the time. <laughs> all the time. If we didn't have a choir or something like that, or whatever the occasion, the special occasion, she would occasion, she would make me sing. One of the songs she made me sing, note I said made me. She <laughs> made me sing, Little David, Little David, play on your harp. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Little David, play on your harp. Hallelujah. I mean, she would have me do that. And all the, you know, the, the parishioners were clapping and excited that this little boy was singing Little David Play on the Heart. But I I sang it all the time to the extent, I'll tell you a story. When we were in Newcastle, it was Easter. And um, you, you know, as a, a custom in a black church, they have Easter programs. We had an Easter program. I had sang Little David probably 10 times on and off for 10 times over a couple of years. And uh, my mother and father bought us all new clothes and et cetera and so forth. And then the kids were would come out, kids of the church, and they would show their clothing, new clothing and all that. Before we went over there, my mother, mommy said, <laughs> I want you to sing Little Baby. And I said, no. <laughs> she said, I beg your pardon? I, I, I said, Mommy, I'm not singing that song anymore. She said, I she said, I said, I want you to sing Little David to the company at the church, to the church. I said, no. And no one tells mommy no. No. <laughs> Jesus don't tell mommy no. Okay. <laughs> and but I was adamant. I don't know why I did, other than I was tired of singing it, but I would never defy my mother like that. 
but I did this time. And I, and I remember doing it. And I stood at the window looking at the church and I just said, mommy, I'm not singing that song anymore. And um, you know what she did? What? She started laughing. <laughs> and she started laughing. That calmed me down. She said, well, you, you can go over to the church, at least show your new clothing. I said, yes, I could do that. But I'm not singing. I'm not singing a line of a song. Okay. Wow. And so that's that 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 really bolstered my my uh, creativity and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And from that point on, I had a way of doing music, theater, poetry. I learned a lot of poetry. I learned a lot of, I learned Shakespeare. I learned whatever I could get my hands on, memorized it. Your father helped me in that regard because he was going to school in um, Arkansas. He was going to school in Arkansas and uh, he would bring his books home and I would go through his books, find the poetry and I would memorize yeah. the poetry that he would bring. And he had I'm sorry. I said, I remember you quoting poetry my whole childhood. I remember that. Yeah. But that was from, most of it was from your dad. Mm. A lot of it was from your dad. And then I eventually went to the library and I would read books. You know, we are a reading family. Mm -hmm. You know that. You read like, you read like any of thing. You were quiet, mm -hmm. but you would read. Right. And you were the most quiet young person I've ever met in my life, but, but I just loved it because that was you, that was you. And so I read a lot of books and I read, and I read books that uh, kids don't generally read. I read a lot of my books, okay. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so we know that you went on, you became a professional and you led our church in Trinity United Methodist Church in Muncie, Indiana. We were very well known choir and you and I, and mm -hmm. you taught me everything. My first recital, you, the very first time I did a live and person by myself real show, I think I was 14 when we did that. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I'll never forget it. And it was terrifying, but it was fun. <laughs> uh, but you, you went eventually. You, you did some work uh, in, in, in the church. You've always been a minister of music. Um, you've written numerous shows that I participated in. Mm -hmm, right. um, and then you eventually uh, started uh, becoming a counselor. Uh, and and that is, I think you still are doing your your music because we I've done stuff with you yeah. basically even, mm -hmm. but you you back and forth between the creative and this therapeutic lifestyle, so right. um, taking your whole life, um, what do you feel your purpose was? I mean, I think you have more than one, but what do you think with all the stuff that you've done, if you could narrow it down to like a an elevator pitch, what would you say your purpose in life has been or is? That's a good question because I I have never known, I have never known what where I slot my myself relative to what I do. I have never known it. I had suggestions in my mind. Uh, I listened to Todd Rundgren uh, 
when I first met Claude Rung, I used to listen to music that was not uh, equivalent to African Americans. So I listened to Todd Rungan and he did a song called Healer and Healing, excuse me. And the lyrics of the word really directed me as as to who I am. Not that I adopted that whole method or the lyrics, but it 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 um, was an experience that I had relative to the lyrics that he was singing, which challenged me to do more as it relates to healing and things like that. Not that I subscribe to it, uh, but uh, it really got me on the path of thinking about it because I did a lot of things. My dad, uh, he had me counseling at a very young age and I would counsel in a car, in, a, in the van. Hmm. And I was 16, 17, something like that. And I, and some of the, some of the people that I counsel are with us today, you know, so it's not like it's a mystery thing. And I, I, I didn't know anything about anything like that, but that it made me do it. He didn't make me do it, but he asked me to do it. Would you take this? Would you take this person, that person? Would you help this person? And so I dealt with suicides. I dealt with, I dealt with a lot of things. And then he shared things with me in regards to helping people. This was not clinical. This was, this was just something that I had a knack for doing and helping. And it was pushed by my dad and to the extent that it stayed with me. And then my life began to emulate those kinds of experiences because I had a lot of experiences when it comes to health, when it comes to helping people and to the extent that uh, it manifested into healing. Well, I, don't, I don't ever talk about these things anyway. So you're the yeah, person. You're definitely a healer. That, that I mean, that is a gift that you have. I mean, even just throughout your creative endeavors, I felt like that was healing to so many people uh, just to have the experience to create, just to be able to act and sing and read and you know do poetry and dance all the dancing i'll never forget the dancing uh, that we would do um i love to dance and and uh i didn't pursue that obviously but at, at that time in my life i was very unwell I had a lot of bad things happened to me and that was a way that i was able to express myself that was healing so all, all of it was healing right yeah, I, I remember that because you used to be, you would be so excited about coming to Muncie to dance, and uh, we had the perfect vehicle for that because we did shows. Yeah, I would write the shows and we would do we would do the dancing show. We'd do it over music. It was so much fun, but you really loved it, and I would recognize how much you love. Now your dancing ability wasn't like extraordinary or anything like that. Right. <laughs> learn your part. You would learn your part and you would do your part and you were so excited about doing it. So that was a really a gate opening experience as I checked you out, as I looked at your creativity and yeah, so that was great. Yeah. You, yeah, you I think he, Healing comes in a lot of different ways to people and, you know, just attention gives 
heals people. Just, you know, giving them something, a way to express itself exactly. heals people. Exactly. Uh, well, King, I can't, we can't go on too long. I've actually, usually my, 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 this is a little bit shorter, so I'm going to wrap it up right now because okay. on December 1st, you're going to come on to the PPC radio show with Shelly Show Williams, DJ Disco, and I. And mm -hmm. we're going to really expound on what we've begun here and mm -hmm. really have a fun conversation from 2 to 4 Eastern on December 1st on www.thegrownfolksradio.com. Okay. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. I, I, I'm i not sure... Um, I think we're we're good here. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it here. So everybody, you need to come on December first and hear more from James Wesley Williams, aka King James, my uncle and mentor. Thank you so much. Love you so much, girl. Love you too. All right. If you've read anything I've written or listened to me speak, you know I've had trauma in my past. But my Uncle King is a part of the reason why I survived it at home. With God's guidance, he helped me to heal by giving me tools to express myself in a creative way. I was a troubled, shy child who never opened her mouth until I sang and acted and wrote. King's loving kindness and attention brought out my pain in a healthy way and he didn't even know he was doing it so pay attention to someone you may just be the doctor God prescribed for them and you may just save a life well that's it for another PPC podcast Thank you to my Uncle King for granting me more information about my family than I knew. Listening to his stories were fascinating. If you want to hear more from him, join us from 2 to 4 Eastern on Wednesday, December 1st on the PPC Radio Show on www.thegrownfolksradio.com. Thank you so much to DJ Kid Disco for his awesome beats and production. God bless you all. Until next time, that's a wrap. A wrap. A wrap. A rap, a rap, a rap, a rap, a rap. BCF, a powerful tool for you. BBCF, a powerful tool for you. Hi, this is Cinda Williams, and I want to tell you about the PPC Radio Show. Every Wednesday from 2 to 4 Eastern, DJ Kit Disco and Shelly Shell Williams and I sit down with a different guest. We talk about healing your heart, surviving the storm, and everything in between. Come on and join us every Wednesday from 2 to 4 Eastern on www.thegrownfolksradio.com. That's PPC Radio Show. We'll see you there.